Well, we are once again in Mark's gospel, in the last third of the book, and in the last week of Jesus' life in what seems to be forever still going on, Tuesday of Holy Week. But as I said last week, Jesus has left the building. He has left the temple and he is on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem with his disciples as the afternoon grows on. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 13 verses 9 through 23. I want you to hear God's word with careful attention and appreciation. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not yet been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. And then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be On your guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. The word of the Lord. Let's now ask God's blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, once again we ask for the help and the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Whom you have sent to show us Jesus. Father Jesus is teaching us today and his disciples Help us to understand what he is saying and what it means. 
And Father, we ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord. Amen. What if you had a time machine? You know, a DeLorean like in Back to the Future, if you saw any of those. What if you had a time machine and you can get in it, and if you chose to go back to the year AD 70 to Jerusalem, what would you have seen? What would you be looking at? You would have been looking at Roman legions under the command of Titus that would raise Jerusalem and its temple to utter destruction. In accordance with the exact prophecy that Jesus had recently made that there would not be one stone that would not be thrown down in the temple. I want you to to quote for you R.C. Sproul, a little more insight onto this event that happened in 70 A.D. Sproul said, Jesus advised his disciples upon seeing the abomination of desolation to flee to the mountains. This advice was contrary to the conventional wisdom of the ancient world. In times of invasion, people fled to the, not to the mountains, but to walled cities where they were, those were regarded as the safest places. That is what happened when the Romans invaded and placed Jerusalem under siege. Jerusalem was packed with people fleeing from the countrysides and the villages. When Jerusalem fell to the Romans and some 1.1 million Jews were slaughtered. However, not a single Christian lost his life or her life. Why? Because they took notice. They took heed to what Jesus said in this passage that we are studying on the Olivet Dialogue. Now, some 40 years earlier from that event, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, some 40 years earlier, Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he's continuing to answer their two questions. What does, when will this happen, Jesus? And what's the sign so that we know and can avoid getting caught up in this terrible thing that you're describing? The destruction of the temple. Jesus is talking about that 40 years earlier. He begins, though, now to move from general signs of such things as wars and earthquakes and famines, the stuff that we were talking about in last week's 
message. If you didn't hear that, you can go back on that online. But he was being more vague in general, and he was basically saying, hey, relax. When you see these things, don't panic. Don't freak out. They're going to happen. These things are going to come. And they are going to be indicators that we're getting in a very unique time in history and transition history, but don't panic. But Jesus goes from that more general signs, nationwide, those kind of signs, he now becomes very much more specific to more personal signs of when exactly this prophecy will be fulfilled that Jesus has made. So he's basically trying to answer the apostles or the disciples' questions, and specifically he's telling them now, more specifically, what will be, what's going to happen, and how they should respond to it. He's telling them there are will be signs that you will know this is about to happen. And he then he also is going to tell them what they need to do to respond to this cataclysmic event when it comes. And clearly Jesus is expecting it to come in their lifetime. Now, don't forget what I said last week. I told you one very important, what we call hermeneutical, that means study, uh, the art of studying and explaining correctly the scriptures. Don't forget the important, very important point of letting scripture interpret scripture. Too many times people get off and get in, lost in a fog or crash into things that they, have, they can't, deal with because they don't let scripture interpret scripture they try to say well that sounds like this to me therefore it must mean this no we have to find out what did it mean to them in their time what language did they use what did they mean by language conventions and tools of expression We have to do that. We will need the help of Scripture to interpret this Scripture and all others, but especially such prophetic writings as this that Jesus gave us. Now, here's the outline, three Ds. It's a 3D outline. Pretty easy. The danger, the destruction, and the deception. The danger that Jesus is warning about here. And is actually going to capsule it, uh, bookend it. He's going to warn at the end and at the beginning. And the danger, and then the destruction of Jerusalem that has been foretold, and how we will know when we're there, and so forth. And then the deception that will be attempted in such a, a time as that. Now, the danger is found in verses 9 through 13. Jesus starts out, with another warning of danger to his disciples. He literally says, be on your guard. Listen, be on your guard. I'm warning you about something. You know, you've, you know what the expression on guard means, right? If you're a fencer. It's saying, be on your guard, get alert, get ready. 
We're about to engage in combat. When you say on guard, that's what Jesus is simply saying here. Prepare yourselves. Guys, there's some stuff going down and you're going to need to listen carefully because this is important and you're going to need to know what to do and to tell others what to do when that time comes. So he puts out a warning. Now, as I started reading in verses 9 through 11, that was the part where it was talking about being um, uh, going and uh, uh, the gospel spreading and persecution and bodily harm and all that. Did any of that sound familiar? Well, it should. You know why? Because it sounds like an overview of the book of Acts. The whole book of Acts sounds like what Jesus is saying right here is going to happen. And it did. And it is going to happen. And it did happen according to the Apostle Paul. How are we to understand that? Look at particularly again to verse 10. It says this, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Before what? Before the destruction of Jerusalem happens. Now, how can that be? How are we to understand that? Well, we need to remember that Jesus is what? Answering the questions of the disciples. And what was the question? What will be the sign of this getting closer? He said the gospel would be preached, Jesus said, to all the world, to all nations. And according to none other than the Apostle Paul and others, Jesus being one of them, this happened in the first century. It happened before A.D. 70. How do we think that? Why do we, what would suggest that to us? Well, listen to these two passages from Paul writing in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5b and 6, and then also verse 23. Listen. Of this, Paul says, you have heard before in the word of truth, talking about the gospel, the gospel which has come to you, you Gentiles, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world. Entire world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. And then in verse 23, Paul says this If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been, past tense, has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I was one of those guys. There were many others. And it's been proclaimed in the whole world. Now you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, Joe, hold on here. That didn't really happen. The gospel hadn't been proclaimed in the whole entire globe. No, of course, 
In the first century, the gospel was not preached to every corner of the world that we now know. All of the parts of the globe that we've explored. No, that didn't happen. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. It did happen because Jesus was talking about the known world at that time, i.e. the Roman world. Anything outside of that was pure, bizarre barbarianism. It wasn't even human. It was subhuman in their understanding. That was the known world and the gospel was indeed preached across that world by A.D. 70. Take scripture's word for it, not mine. Scripture's the one saying this. Jesus is the one saying this. Now in verses 12 through 13, Jesus also prophesied that there would be widespread hatred against his disciples. That would be another sign that this event of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is coming closer and closer. Here's another vivid sign to mark and let you know, hey, you're getting closer to the event. John 3, 12 and 13 says this, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, they hated me, they will also hate you. Don't expect better treatment to come for you than you will see given to me. Jesus is saying, this is part of what it means to follow me. You will have persecution. And yet, he says, I want you to persevere. I want you to stay alert. I want you to stay focused, not get thrown off, not go fetal I want you to stay in and hang in there because there is a new birth, like I talked about last week, that is coming. Birth pains of a new age that I am going to bring the kingdom as the Messiah. So, following Jesus requires perseverance despite persecution. We've got to hang in and hang on until the end. Even if it comes from one's own family members. Jesus alluded to that. He said these, some of these, we know that in other cultures. What happens, we know, if you leave Islam? In some cases, you might actually be killed by your father or, some, or an uncle or someone else who is basically because you have brought dis- shame and dishonor upon the family. There, there is the possibility that even those that are part of your own family will turn. And Jesus said, in such a time as this, there will be people that will turn. The people that were supposed to be the guardians of the gospel and of the word of God turned on the prophets over and over again, and they turned on Jesus, and they turned on his disciples and drugged them before the Sanhedrin, persecuted them, killed them, so many of these things. And yet, Jesus is saying, persevere. Stay on the course. Be faithful. I'm with you to the end. Now, here's something really important. We might say, okay, so we got to be sure and we got to be sure and and persevere so that we can get to the end and and then everything will be okay. 
Well, actually, the focus is not on our hard work and effort. Yeah, there is a part that we play. We do persevere. We do stay on the course. We do try to walk the walk. But ultimately, this is about God's preservation. It's not about our preserving. You see, we need to note well that not to hold on, to hold on to the end is not about our preserving as much as it is about God's preserving. That's the point. God is going. And you know what that's called? Grace. God is going to give his people then, he did, and now that face persecution, he will give them grace, whether it's to escape it or whether it's to go and die in martyrdom. It's continuing to happen. All it has ever since, God's grace will be sufficient and he will enable us to endure to the end. Now, the destruction is in Verses 14 through 20. And there's a lot of, uh, of detail here, but I'm just going to try to hit some of the highlights. Jesus probably, that afternoon, he may have at this point turned and focused his disciples' attention to the temple of Jerusalem. Kind of gesturing like, hey, guys, look over here again. Getting them back on focus. He may have turned and pointed toward the temple. When he said these words in fourteen through six, uh, in verse fourteen, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, again, though it might be mysterious to us, wasn't very mysterious to the disciples, nor to Jesus. They knew the book of Daniel. They were familiar with this. Something like this had earlier happened under Antiochus Epiphanes. In the Greek, assault upon the temple of God. That was one form of an abomination. But Jesus is talking about a greater version of that. He's alluding to that. And he, this, this prophecy from Daniel, Jesus has said, is going to be fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. He said he is talking about some kind of an abomination that causes desolation. Causes something to be deserted. In other words, something's going to happen in the temple. Some kind of religious profane thing is going to be so bad, so odious, it's going to cause everybody to desert the temple. And Jesus said, when you see that, get out of Dodge. And I mean quickly. Move. You see, again, Jesus is answering. This is another sign of the question in verse 4. Previously, Jesus told the disciples not to worry and be afraid. Now he's telling them, when you see this abomination thing, when you see that happening, get out of town fast. Why? Because Jesus foretold that the temple's destruction is about to happen when that event took place. And there would be very little time for his followers, believers, to get out of a burning destruction, 
of which they would not escape from unless they moved quickly. That's why all that language, get up if you're on the rooftop, don't, don't come down. Man, just back, They could literally run across the rooftops. Get out of town, flee to the mountains. Hey, don't go back for your cloak. No, no none of that. Pray that it's not. All of that language is saying, get out, get out, get out. Now, don't delay. Believers were to flee to the mountains while they could. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's saying there's something that's going to happen in the temple. And when you see that, that abomination of desolation, that is the time to run for your life. Flee to the mountains. And ultimately, that's exactly what the people of God did. Believers did. They literally fled to the mountains, not around Jerusalem, but ultimately to the area of Pella in what would have been the part of the Decapolis. You probably have seen, if you've seen Indiana Jones, uh, Temple of Doom, and th- th- some of those movies, one of those shows you the, the ruins of Pella there. That's where they went and Christians held out in those days of incredible suffering because they listened to Jesus. They didn't get caught up in it. Now, if some of the language, and again, you say, well, what about all these specifics? And Look, this, under, this passage has been construed and explained many different ways. I'm simply telling you today what I think is the best that fits with the text itself, explanation of it. I'm not going to tell you specifically what I think the abomination of desolation. I could give you multiple choices. Could be this, could be that, could be that. Whatever, something was going to be so egregious and hideous that it was going to cause literally those to desert the temple. Something so bad. And there were things that happened that would accord well with that. But the point here is this language that Jesus is using seems so strange to us. But it was not strange to the Jews of that day. They were very familiar. They used earth-shattering, hyperbolic language to express God's judgments in history. The Old Testament prophets had done it all through the years, down through the ages. And Jesus is the last prophet, the true and greatest prophet, is doing it now. And he's using that same kind of exaggerated language. It's hyperbole, but it's talking about something incredibly awful. Jesus is using that same Old Testament cataclysmic language in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. I want you to listen to this uh, quote by Scott Penzen, one of the commentators. He says, If you were to travel back in time into the first century, do, excuse me, if you were to travel back in time into the first century and tell someone to quit pulling your leg, he would have thought you were nuts. Because he would say, maybe I'm not holding your leg in the first place. Now, what's going on there? Why? Because the figure of speech is used is not part of your culture or or his culture, his culture. He, however, would understand you perfectly. 
when we read Jesus and his prophetic words, it is as if Jesus has traveled forward in time and is using figures of speech with which we are unfamiliar. And therefore we run the risk of interpreting his language in ways that none of his contemporaries would have. In other words, those in his day would have understood that this was highly symbolic language. They wouldn't have looked for it to be literal. Wouldn't. But if you were to that's what happens with us. We get in and we say, well, this means this now. Well, it had to mean, no, it didn't have to mean the same thing. Language was used differently. Today, it is popular to interpret these verses as a reference to the Antichrist and to the end of the world. But up until now, up until now, there is no indication whatsoever that this text is talking about something that is far in the distant future but rather is talking about something that is part of the approaching present. There's not a shred of anything to give us an indication of something way out there to come. Not to this point. I want you to consider two questions about this whole thing. If Jesus was warning about something way off in the future, millennium in advance, if he was warning all of us, why did he specify those who are in Judea should flee to the mountains? That makes absolutely zero sense. None. Unless he was talking about somebody that was going to be alive in that generation when this happened 40 years later. Otherwise, what, that specificity does not compute. It, wouldn't have, it would make absolutely no sense. Secondly, the Bible says when the world ends, there will be no place for his enemies to hide. So what would be the point of fleeing? What, what, what are you going to flee from, from God Almighty? He's not talking about that. He's talking about protecting his people. Because there was, if they would listen to him and follow his instructions, he would protect the, his own, his elect. Now, the deception is what we see in verses 21 through 23. We've all heard the expression to be forewarned is what? To be forearmed. Jesus' prophecy tells us when there's this kind of chaos going down, guess what you're going to always find happening? And certainly in, in spades here, false prophets are going to be popping up like jack-in-the-box. Like they're going to have to whack-a-mole thing. They're going to be popping up everywhere. Liars. False prophets are liars. They will arise. And Jesus warns his disciples not to fall to their deceptive ploys. These false messiahs and prophets would be able to do pretty amazing things. They would be able to perform counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, Jesus said. But they're counterfeits. And yet, they're so 
good at it, and they're so enchanting that if it were possible, and that's what Jesus simply means, that's an expression of saying it's not possible to deceive the elect. But if it were, they're going to be really good at this game, and they're going to lie with the best of them, and they're going to tell you false things. Now, a lot of that does sound like some of our life today with politicians, doesn't it? (laughs) Lying is, is a way of life. But always it is, deceiving, keeping the truth hidden. You see, they tried, but they couldn't do it because God was protecting his people. Deceptive liars will fool many, but Jesus will not leave his own without resources to know the truth. And that's exactly what he did through telling his disciples all this that we read so that they would be protected, so that they would not be destroyed along with the rest, and that they would not believe the lies that would be told. Everything's fine. Don't worry. That had gone on through the Old Testament again and again. Oh, there's, God's not, no, not going not to judge us. No, no, everything's fine. You just go, oh, this guy, he's just an old troubler of Israel. Don't listen to Jeremiah. It's been going on time memorial. You see, this whole passage is bookended, folks, by your, and the key word is emphasized, your guard. Be on your guard, Jesus said. He said in verse 9, and he says it in verse 23 at the end. Bookends. And you know what? Here's the cool and encouraging thing. Jesus is saying that in contrast to those who have been led astray. He says, I'm telling you why and how you cannot be among them. I'm telling you so that you'll be ready when this time comes. It's actually encouraged. Yeah, it's going to be a rough ride. It's going to be difficult. And, but you will have what you need to be faithful to me until the end. Don't forget my words, Jesus was saying to them. Share them with other brothers and sisters to come. And keep watch. Because I am with you. And I'm going to see you through this. That's what Jesus told them. Next week, we're going to look at the coming of the Son of Man. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, deep sledding for us. And there, Father, we admit there are things in here we don't really understand. But there are other things here that are clear. And, and, and your word gives us. The, what we need to know how to live faithfully. It doesn't tell us all the things that we don't know or wish we knew, but it does tell us the things that really matter and that we need to know in order to honor you and live faithfully in our present world. Father, give us the grace to persevere as you did your disciples before us through whatever came their way. Do so for us, we pray in Jesus' name.